This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Obviously, Capitol Hill is a very uh, busy place right now. The uh, members of both the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate uh, spent quite a bit of time getting passage on the $2.2 trillion relief bill just about a week and a half ago. Now, Congress, it appears, is working hard on another package of relief for small businesses and many others right now. A pleasure to have us joined by Indiana Congressman Trey Hollinsworth, who, by the way, is also a Wharton alum. Congressman, great to have you with us today, and thank you for your time in this very busy and hectic period. No, good morning to you, and thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat with you about what we have going on in Capitol Hill and what we've already done on Capitol Hill, and certainly what I'm hearing from the Hoosier State as well. Well, I, I have to be honest. Let, let's start with the fact that you, know, you are a Wharton alum. I can't imagine that you know, the Wharton education is a great thing, but this is a unique time for somebody to, to put that Wharton education to, to really to the test. Well, you're exactly right. This is certainly a unique time and certainly an event that no one saw coming. No one would have expected just three, four, five months ago. And certainly that Wharton education is helpful, but also my experience as a small business owner for the last 15 years and understanding what it's like to run a business during the Great Recession, what it's like to run a business during the anemic expansion for the first few years after that and the more dynamic expansion after that. And so certainly this is a unique time, but all that experience is really paying off and helping me understand how we can empower business owners to get through this difficult time and empower employees and those that have been laid off to get through this difficult time. So can you give us an update of what's going on right now on Capitol Hill? We obviously hear a lot of stories about a phase four package that is being talked about both in the House and in the U.S. Senate. You're exactly right. Well, look, the reality is we passed a package just about 10 days ago of $2.2 trillion. So that's $2.2 trillion of taxpayer money. And we wanted to make sure that that is being used as efficiently and effectively as possible to get through this challenging time for business owners, for employees, for individuals alike. But what we have seen is the $350 billion that was specifically allocated to small business through the payroll protection plans. Those dollars have gone very, very quickly. We've seen applications that are well in excess of the $350 billion as doing what exactly what we designed them to do, which is to retain as many employees as possible at our small businesses. So what we're talking about right now is expanding that program by another $200 billion, another $250 billion perhaps, depending on what Mitch McConnell decides is the right number in conjunction with Marco Rubio, to ensure that more of those small businesses have access to temporary loans that will enable them to retain as many employees as possible through this crisis. But from what I read also that there are other areas of focus by uh, some of the members of, ha- of the House of Representatives t- looking at health care workers, uh, potentially more for uh, people that are on food stamps. How do those potential areas fit into this uh, this next area? It's a great question. So there are a lot of other aspects that are real changes to policy, not just expansion of dollars of existing policy, but changes to policy that a lot of members want to make to better help individuals, especially those that are most vulnerable. We know that a high proportion of healthcare workers are putting themselves at risk and getting out there and helping those with coronavirus. We know that our older Americans are more susceptible. We know that those that have been living at the edge of poverty might go through some really difficult times now that jobs are scarcer and more difficult to find. And so there are a lot of changes to policy that might be necessary in order to ensure that we get everybody through this crisis as capably and as fully as possible. 
Do you think, though, that playing off of that policy uh, note that you just mentioned, do you think that this is going to have a significant long-term impact about thinking about policy? Because obviously we had the recession a decade ago. We have this now. I don't think anybody out there believes that there isn't a next event, whatever it might be, isn't somewhere down the road. And so it almost, I think you have to start thinking about what those policies are going to be for the next time. Dan, I think you hit on a a great point. Because, look, 11 years ago, we virtually did this same thing. I was in Congress then, but there was a desire to backstop as much of the economy as possible. And at that time, we were talking about $775, $850 billion. Today, 11 years later, we are trying to do the same thing, and the cost is $2.2 trillion and counting. I am really worried that we are setting ourselves up for 10 years from now when the next business downturn might be for whatever event exogenous or demand shock that might exist, that then the number will be even bigger as the federal government tries to backstop uh, slowdowns in the business cycle. I think we've got to be really careful and really targeted because ultimately people are working hard for this taxpayer money that they're sending to Washington every year. And the fact is they're going to have to send a lot more of it in the future in order to cover this spending. I mean, deficits expected this year after all of this spending might top nearly two and a half to three trillion dollars. That's, that's really sizable, even compared to a very large GDP that we have. I think there is real concern that we are setting precedent and developing moral hazard for much of the economy and always being there to backstop it, at least over the last 15 years. Tell us, if you can, what the story is in Indiana right now with the coronavirus, the, the numbers of cases, the, the numbers of deaths, and, and just the impact on small business. Because you said you're a small business owner. This is really in your, in your wheelhouse. Absolutely. The impacts have been devastating. Certainly the stay-at-home order by the governor and other governors in surrounding states have meant that most businesses have generated zero revenue over the last couple of weeks. But they still have all of those fixed obligations, whether that's rent, mortgage payments, basic salaries for those that aren't marginal cost. These are real expenses that business owners are having to pay. And in response to that, they've laid off many, many employees. I mean, Indian unemployment was far below even the national average just a month and a half ago. I mean, when I was talking to business owners in February even, their biggest challenge was they couldn't find enough workers because they had so many customers demanding product. The exact opposite exists today, and we've got to make sure that we're helping those business owners through it, as well as helping those that have been laid off through it and helping those employees that have seen their income shrink either through furloughs or reduction in hours get through this so that we get back to robust demand in the summer. And I think that's the key. Right now, this is an exogenous shock that's hit the economy. What we don't want to have happen is that turn into a demand shrinkage shock that resides in the economy for the next six months. I want this to be a V-bottom, right, where we're just fast and ferocious, certainly in this quarter going down, but hopefully fast and ferocious in its rise back with employment coming back. What we can't have is job loss and income erosion that creates a demand shrinkage inside the economy that lingers with us quarter after quarter. That's what happened in the Great Recession, and that's yeah. what we're trying to prevent today. Yeah, and and, and I, I hear a lot of conversation about the. It, it feels different this time, even though it is more significant, the impact and the pain that many businesses and many Americans are feeling right now. It feels a little different from the perspective of 10 years ago. You weren't sure when the, when the, uh, when the corner was going to be turned. This one feels like it's going to be sometime in the next few months. I think that's right. And I'm actually more optimistic than even just the next few months. I'm, I'm hopeful that we 
we'll see peak cases in the next 30 to 40 days. Now, that won't immediately translate to restrictions being lifted on the physical side, but the moment that we can come up with a biological response instead of just physical restrictions, and then the moment that we see peak cases, we can begin to lift some of these restrictions gradually. You know, restaurants going back to operating, but maybe they have to move tables further apart in their max capacity. Stores opening up, but max capacity being lower. People wearing masks going out. The goal is to get people back to functioning in a semi-normal way as quickly as possible, and then in a normal way as quickly as possible. And I'm hopeful that summer really brings a quieter period for this coronavirus, giving us the time to set up more large-scale testing going into the fall. So I think you're right. What I hear from a lot of businesses is not, oh, my gosh, when is this going to end? This is never going to end. This is ongoing like it was in the Great Recession that lasted over a full 18 months. But what I hear is, I know this will end. I know we will get back to better times. I know I will have to hire back 78, 98, but I need help just for these 30, 45, 60 yeah. days to get to that point. How is the farming sector doing uh, in your state and in other parts of the Midwest? Obviously, this is a, another shock for that sector in, in a group of uh, businesses that have been dealing with quite a few shocks over the last few years. No, you're right. Um, when I have a lot of farming town halls, we've been talking about you know the trade war with China over the last couple of years. We've been talking about some of the labor shortages over the last few years. I know that these are real challenges that farmers have had to deal with, and now they've got another challenge. Luckily for them, they've been mostly accepted from the stay-at-home or shelter-in-place orders as their essential businesses, and so they've been able to get out in the field, plant. They've been able to get out in the fields and harvest having a bigger challenge with logistics. I mean, so many trucks are already full as goods are going to and from various places across the state and across the country. And getting the drivers that they need, giving the, getting the trucks that they need to get that produce, to get that food from the farm to someone's table in their house has become a bigger challenge for them. So I've sponsored some bills in Congress, and actually I lead the Drive Safe Coalition that's already got over 130 members signed on to it to enable and open up more avenues for people to become truck drivers, which are great careers that are paying on average $70,000 a year that you can start when you're 18, 19, 21 years old um, as long as we get this bill passed. And I think that's hugely important to opening up more avenues for us to get goods from point A to people's home as quickly as possible. How important was making sure that you had the sole proprietorships included uh, in in the bills so that the the people that work in the gig economy, the sole uh, business owners, the the plumbers, the carpenters, that they were covered in this as well? Well, it was really important to me because as you look at total aggregate businesses all the way across the economy – Certainly, there are very few that are very large employers, right? The 500 employee plus companies. They have a big number of employees, but there are very few firms when you look at the total proportion. The vast majority of firms in this country are single employee firms, are less than $500,000 a year in revenue firms. Now, when you take those in individually, right, they don't add up to a huge piece of the economy. But when you take them in aggregate, being over 15 million of those firms across the country, the reality is, they add up to a significant portion of the economy, and it's really important to ensure that they have some income protection as well because, like I said, the worst thing that we can do right now is take this exogenous shock on the economy that will pass, that we will certainly get through, and turn it into a demand shrinkage in the economy that is lingering 
beyond this summer because that that's how we translate to a longer slower anemic recovery versus what I hope will be a more robust recovery that we get back to um, the economy that we had just a few months ago over the next couple of quarters. One final thing, Congressman, and it's not necessarily with small business, but obviously you have a lot of people listening out there that that may work for a company. They're making below that $99,000 threshold. Uh, they're going to be waiting for that, that relief check, that $1,200. And if they have kids, the, the money there. I think the question for a lot of people is, okay, that's going to be coming in in the next couple of weeks, but maybe do you even have to consider having a potential second round of that ready to go at some point? Look, I think the biggest question that everyone is asking, the biggest question that we have got to face is how do we solve the underlying biological problem, right? What can we develop in terms of antivirals? What can we develop in terms of treatments that have been tested and are effective and safe to combat this virus? The moment that we can solve that problem, we can unlock the rest of this more quickly. And what I hear most Hoosiers talking about is not, hey, when am I going to get a second check? When am I going to get more relief? What I hear them saying is, I'm eager to get back to work. I'm eager to get my kids back to school. I am eager to get back to my normal life. Solve the biological problem. Put resources there. Help our healthcare heroes. Help those that are in biotech firms developing cures slash treatments slash vaccines for this so that we can get back to our normal life as quickly as possible. I'm a big advocate of let's focus on that, and then we can unlock the rest of the economy. We can unlock these physical restrictions and get people back to the things that they do best, which is making our future as a country better because they're making each of their individual futures better. Congressman, thank you very much for your time. I know you're busy, and it's going to be a busy week for you there on uh, dealing with Capitol Hill. So thank you for your time today. Absolutely. Anytime. Have a great day. Thank you. Trey Hollinsworth, uh, Congressman from Indiana, joining us here on the show. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.